Hi there, welcome back to another episode for the Authentically Obsessed. I'm Margaret Petrie, generating moments of discovery for people in hot pursuit of their lives. Hey, thanks to everyone for reading my newsletter. It took a while to get that one out. Why is the first one, that first thing of anything, so hard? My gosh, the stories we tell ourselves. Sheesh. Anyway, it's out there. And it's all about nature and creativity, which was so fun to put together. I've been accumulating so many resources about this, so I decided to break it up a little and send the next few newsletters out more frequently, like every two weeks for the series of the same theme. Next week, I'm going to share some favorite resources about walking and creativity, and then I'll explore awe and transcendence. So thank you for reading. I hope you're finding something useful in there. And if you haven't subscribed to my newsletter, go do that on my website. Thank you. Today's guest is Brianna Martre. She's definitely an artist embracing the joy and the uncertainty that fuels her work. I met Brianna at an art fair in Chicago and I was so drawn into her work. And as we started talking, I just, I didn't want to let the conversation go, but I feel like we had a train to catch and I couldn't spend a whole lot of time there. So I asked her if she'd be on the podcast and she said, yes, she lives in Colorado, but does a lot of traveling. And it was super interesting to talk to her about all of that. Her work is driven by world building. She's interested in exploring possible and impossible landscapes that may or may not exist on this planet in this dimension, in a memory, a dream, or a vision, they may never have existed anywhere until now. The arc of Brianna's career as a full-time artist began in 2006 with a focus on painting. She moved on to sculptural work in 2009 and then transitioned into her current work with graphite drawings in 2018. She has consistently maintained clarity of creative voice as her visual expressions have evolved through multiple mediums. Brianna's creations convey an architectural organic world which thrives in paradox and ambiguity. It's a place that gives voice to so much more than can be articulated with sound or words. Each piece she creates is an earnest translation of the feelings, ideas, images, landscapes, and visions of her inner world. For Brianna, the ultimate goal of her creative life is to ardently impart to your inner world what she can from her own. Our conversation covers a range of topics from thick living to thoughts about interacting with people at galleries compared to art festival settings. And we did not explicitly talk about this, but I found myself noticing the influence that her creative writing program had on her visual art career. And we mentioned this video that was created about her installation at the Denver International Airport. And if you can, I suggest you go watch it before you listen. The link is in the show notes. It's on YouTube. I think it will be a richer experience as you hear her describe what the process was like. I mean, you do you. You can watch it later. All right. Now go follow Brianna on Instagram. Check out her website. And of course, the links and takeaways are in the show notes. 
and on our episode page at authenticobsessions.com along with a bunch of photos I put on there too. So go check those out. Okay, let's get on with our conversation. Hi, Brianna. I'm so glad you agreed to join me today. I'm really excited about our conversation. Hi, it's great to be here and thanks for having me. It's my honor, of course. Yeah. So I met Brianna at um, Art Fair that happened this summer and your work, I was walking down the center aisle and your work just drew me in like a drug. It was unlike anything else that I had seen that day. And there are these giant artworks. Well, you guys will go see, you'll look on her episode page and you can see these photos, but um, these images of her work, very, I don't know, it was very ethereal. I think that's the word. Um, And I just started having this conversation with you. And I thought she has to be on the podcast because some of the things we started talking about, sometimes I just wish I was recording as I have these spontaneous conversations. So hopefully we can recreate some of that here today. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so can you just start off by telling us a little bit about your creative path and from what I've read, you were a writer. There's a great story about that. A painter, a paper crane folder, a sculptor. Now you do these graphite drawings. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you worked your way through those. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it's been a bit of a journey. I always um, had a very vivid um, creative life. So, and, and like you said, I wrote for a while and I thought that seemed to be the most viable career choice. So I went to school for creative writing, um, but I also played the piano and, you know, did some poetry on the side and, and always, visual art was always present for me um whether it was picking up colored pencils or or painting or whatever it may be so that was always kind of a side note though I never thought that that it was possible to you know um make a living as a a full-time visual artist so I spent about eight years trying to write a novel well I did write a novel but um in my early 20s and then I was painting in my little tiny apartment on the side and uh, I was going, I went to Prague to, for a summer to get my teaching English as a foreign language um, degree. And I had a friend who worked in a hair salon and she said, well, why, while you're gone, why don't you hang up your paintings? You know, I've seen them in your apartment and they're, they're beautiful. You know, I'd love to show them to my clients and see what happens so I thought, you know, why not? So I, I hung that show and went to Prague and came back and everything had sold. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> I, so I kind of, you know, it piqued my interest and I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. People seem to really enjoy what I enjoy doing. So then, you know, a little bit later, a couple months later, because I was in between jobs anyways, so I was, you know, working all of these sort of part-time gigs um, while trying to write a novel. And so then I I got another show and another show and another show. And then all of a sudden I was making a living as a visual artist, which I did not expect to be even possible, let alone happen. So, and then, you know, I I started out as an oil painter, did that um, for 
about four or five years in Denver before moving into sculpture, um, some cast bronze and mixed media, um, did the installation, the airport, which we can go into later, and then um, moved back to the to two-dimensional work about 2018, 2019, right before the pandemic um, with the charcoal and graphite drawings. Part of the impetus for that was a back injury and sculpture is really heavy. <laughs> so taking that on the road, you know, and I've been doing these, uh, you know, I started out in two-dimensional work. So the transition was pretty seamless. And I've been doing these little sketches in the studio, a rented studio in Pittsburgh at the time. And you know, again, people were like, oh God, I love your, I love your drawings. You know, why don't you take that more seriously? It hurt my back, which was kind of a chronic injury, but it became much worse um, after being on the road for 10 years. So uh, I thought, well, drawings are a lot lighter than sculpture and my back really hurts. So why don't I take that more seriously? And I transitioned back to two-dimensional work with the drawings so I've always had a clarity of voice, though, throughout the different mediums, um, whether it was the oil paintings to the sculptures, the drawings, it's this sort of fantastical world building of, you know, infinite smallness and infinite largeness that the, the theme has been consistent. So no matter what medium I'm working in. The other thing that seems to be consistent is that you've won a lot of awards. You seem very accomplished in all of those different mediums. I'm just wondering if, you know, you talked about that transition from one medium to the next, and it seems as you're talking about it, that it's kind of seamless. Um, can you talk a little bit about the transition? Like, was there any pressure after, or any internal pressure after like winning all these awards and being very accomplished as a sculptor and then saying, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I'm going to go into drawings. What was that like? Yeah, so I guess, you know, I, you know, the the internal voices that maybe are tied into ego and accolades and, you know, I, that has to be silenced in the studio no matter what for me in order to evolve and in order to really feel like I have um, a freedom and, and a space in which to create. So, um I, I guess there was pressure, but I maybe maybe outside of the studio walls, you know, then then those worries kind of came to be. But then, you know, when when I'm in the studio, it's just sort of, you know, what would happen if I if I did this or if I if I push this in this direction or or what what does this look like or how how can I you know, move forward within my, you know, my greater parameters, my umbrella, my, my vision. And, and sometimes that means switching mediums and what, what's best for my, you know, creative voice at the moment. And so, you know, all of, all of that stuff, you know, sort of doesn't enter my head when I'm in the studio and then it kind of comes in later. Oh, oh wait, how am I going to transport this? Oh, wait, how am I going to sell this? Oh, wait, how am I going to, you know, <laughs> all of those logistical questions. So I, I guess, I guess there was pressure, but that was sort of for um, a different place than the sort of sacred space of the studio. Well, and it seems to have worked out really well for you. You continue to win awards and accolades for the work that you're doing now too. And rightly so. Um, but 
I just know that so like this is the thing that stops so many people are those voices, right? Those those internal voices. And you were like, I just silence the voices. I'm like, is it that easy? Like, what do you well, do? It sounds <laughs> it sounds so it sounds like you're a very curious person and maybe curiosity overrides the fear thing when you're in the studio and you're in flow or something. I don't know. Am I on track there? Um, yeah, so it, it, it isn't that easy. I mean, that's sort of an oversimplification because there's good days and there's bad days and there's, yeah. you know, and, and definitely I think the, the work when it's at its best comes from a very genuine place that, that I, my job is to dig into myself and find that place where, where it's genuine and authentic and, and, and to accurately express that. Um, so, but some of the biggest struggles I have are, you know, within my own head of silencing those voices. And it's, it's, it's not that easy. I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over that because it is definitely, um, a daily struggle, but I have learned after being full-time for 17 years on the bad days when it's, I'm too caught up in, in all of the wrong sort of stuff in my head to just stop, you know, to go do something else. There's, there's always something else that needs to be done because I can almost feel it's like in tune or not in tune. And when it's, when it's not, you know, resonating, if I'm not drawing well, if I'm not, you know, if I haven't dug deep enough within myself to be able to get to that place, I'm just going to have to go back and redo the things I did anyway. So it's, it's like, just, just stop while you're ahead, you know, work on something else. There's always something else that needs to be done that doesn't require um, that, that place to be pure. So, but of course there's always deadlines too. So it's, it, that's not always that easy too. Right, <laughs> you, know, right. well, you, you know, sometimes you, you have to just struggle through. Um but that, you know, I, I wouldn't trade this life for, for anything. So that struggle is worthwhile as far as I can tell. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I know a lot of people who just are like, I'm just going to sit there for me. Walking away is the best thing I can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I read on your website where you were talking about layers and the work that you do, maybe start off by, if you can describe the graphite drawings that you do, describe those a little bit and then talk about layers, because I love when you said, what do all those layers mean? And you're like, well, every day the answer might be different, but today it goes like this. And I thought just those words right there make me think that you're able to let go of some things. Like it doesn't always have to be this way, but today it's like this and I'm going to move forward. Yeah, well, you know, I think the work gets a bit philosophical for me, even though it may appear like, uh, I don't know, organized chaos or, um, you know, simple but intricate, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more to it in all of these layers. And I think we are all works in progress. And I, I just think the lessons are everywhere and I find them in studio in the studio as they relate to life in so many instances um, where, you know, when I was writing, there was a statement that we said that was uh, kill your darlings. 
which is to is to say that you know trying to build this whole paragraph or this whole chapter around this one sentence that you're in love with it often doesn't work because you know holding on to that that darling so desperately um just destroys everything else and destroys your flow so but that that applies to to drawing as well if you fall in love with this one corner or this one um, series or this one idea, then you sort of stifle the evolution that may come freely if you just kind of get out of the way, which also, you know, re- can relate to life. You, you know, if you're if you're holding on to it to one specific expectation or outcome, then you sort of are missing all of the other opportunities that that maybe are presenting themselves um, that you weren't paying attention to. So you know, all these things sort of rattle around in my head. And then as, as far as the layers, it's, 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 you know, we're all just these complicated, nuanced onion layers of, of humans that, you know, each, each day builds on each other on, on the, on the previous one. And um, all of our choices, uh, you know, we have to deal with the, the consequences of all of the seemingly small choices to the to the really large ones and and there's no going back in in the timeline you know going forward and so you know often with my work instead of subtracting sometimes I do subtract or and take away but but I will seal between the layers and 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 add the next one because to me that's that's how life is it's it's like well you know I made this choice (laughs) I sealed it and now I have to you know go go forward and work with what I have already done and um if something is not working try to figure out you know what I can add to it to 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 make it better rather than taking away so but you asked what the work looks like and that that is hard to describe because it is very much my own um sort of thing I don't I, I don't think of myself necessarily as an abstract artist even though there is some abstraction I find for myself as I'm creating I need to feel a little bit more grounded so oftentimes there's a little bit of a horizon line and it's um there's a lot of ambiguity which I love because there's so much that the viewer then brings to the interpretation of the piece that maybe I never would have thought of. And it then opens up to a dialogue rather than just being a monologue of me screaming what I, I think you should see, or I want you to see. Uh, it creates a, a conversation and, and, you know, I definitely learned during the pandemic that conversation is invaluable to me. The, the sharing of, of the art is just as important as the creating of the art for me I it's not enough for me just to have it all sitting in the studio it's it's the interaction and the the perspective that other people bring to it um the things that I never would have could have imagined that people see in the pieces or how it speaks to them that's that's really important to me which is why I love doing what I do on the road because it you know you get a large swath of humanity (laughs) that gets to interact with the work um, which is, which is fantastic for my creative process. Um, does that kind of a multi-pronged question? I hope I answered. Yeah, no, I think so. And, and, and the materials that you use to create the work are of a certain color palette. Are they all pencil that you use graphite? 
So, um, no, I, I always start with graphite and then, um, often I will add either charcoal, pastel, ink, sometimes a very diluted acrylic wash. And again, I'm, I'm working in layers. So since I seal between the layers, the previous one is preserved. Um, so I don't, you know, smudge the charcoal or the pastel or, or whatever. And I, and, and often I will go back and forth, you know, I don't know, sometimes 30 times between, oh, it needs more graphite now on top of this charcoal. And then I seal with a UV resistant matte spray varnish. And so as that sealant starts building up, um, it becomes very encaustic looking and, and uh, sort of has this matte waxy feel um, and a sense of depth, even though it's completely flat and smooth. Yeah. How, how did you figure out that process? Did you see somebody else do that? Did you just experiment over time? Experimentation. Yeah. I, uh, well, what does this one need? Oh, maybe I can go back and add this and, you know, it needs more white over there, more, you know, uh, muted blues or, you know, and, and what can I do to, to add that? And again, it's, it's sort of getting out of the way of the art as the artist and being open to evolving in the studio and, and not being so locked into one idea or so timid that I'm afraid to, you know, make a mistake. I would say there's no mistakes in, in art that it's just, you know, if if you think it's not right, it's just not done. Uh, So, and there's more to, to, to do, to, to make it, you know, quote unquote, right. And what is right anyway, you know, so there's again, philosophical questions, lessons are everywhere. For sure. Um, I, I want to go back just to one thing, one other thing, when you were talking about people's experiences and sort of bringing those into your work, how our choices of consequences and the consequence of those build on our experiences. And you wrote, we are little time tornadoes, constantly creating our own weather, which I think is beautiful. And I just wanted to say that out loud. Thank you. Yeah. What weather am I creating? I love that as a sort of a, I was going to say a barometer, just sort of as a check-in like daily or weekly, like I am responsible for my own little tornado and how fast it goes. And you know, is it a storm day? You know, it's interesting to think about your uh, life on a level like that. I think that's a, that's a good metaphor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing I became really aware of during the pandemic um, was what, what I was giving back to the world. You know, there, there was so much um, uncertainty and, and suffering and, and I, it became really clear to me that I, I wanted to stay very conscious of creating nice weather, so to speak, you know, that it's, it's, I wanted, if I was having a bad day or a, you know, a dark moment, I, I didn't uh, want to, you know, put more anger or, or pain back into the world through my art that, you know, I, I, I would again, walk away and, and make sure and check in with myself and get my head right before I started creating so that I, I would, be giving back something more beautiful for the world you know that that it was a hard time for everybody and and so it was it was a constant struggle to to you know do the work on myself first so that I would be you know 
creating better weather <laughs> for, for people to enjoy. It's the oxygen mask, right? You have to put on your own oxygen mask first before you Absolutely. can help someone else. So yeah, I love that. Um, okay. One more thing about your work, your titles. So as I was scrolling through and looking at them, I noticed that you have, I mean, I don't know how many, I saw six or seven different titles, unknown number three, yeah. the, the river number one, system number four, landing number two. Talk a little bit about the titles of your work. Yeah, again, um, sort of living in this in this ambiguity, you know, I, I, I like finding titles that are not too direct, that leave things open for interpretation. But within each series, you know, the, the system series has, has certain parameters that the, this this is what belongs in this series. They're sort of looser uh, gestures. And, and is it a, a, a solar system? Is it a system out in space? Or is it a, you know, a system of gears? Is it, you know, I, I, I like these questions and not, again, giving away too, too much and, and letting the viewer find their own answers within the title as well. So, but there, there are certain parameters and then, you know, I'll be working maybe on uh, a timeline and then it sort of evolves past where the timelines used to be. And then I think, Oh, well, maybe I've stumbled onto a new series. What would this series B, if it if it's not a timeline, oh, it's a light ship. You know, that makes sense because it's a little bit more, you know, so so often, well, not often, but sometimes <laughs> a, a series will evolve into another series once it kind of graduates, I want to say. So I'm fascinated by that whole thing. Do you take notes? Do you have like a record of these? Is it just all in your head? And you're like, I'm feeling this and this is how I'm going to create these next pieces until I don't feel that anymore. But you can articulate it so clearly. So in retrospect, <laughs> in retrospect, yeah, I would love it if you would put on your website, like landing, you know, the landing series and a little bit about what it meant to you. But maybe you don't want to do that because you do want the reader to interpret. But I just... I feel like sometimes the more I know about where you're coming from, from a piece, just a little bit, just a little glimmer. And maybe this is all the glimmer you want to give us, which is cool too. Um, <laughs> but which is why I'm talking to you because I wanted to know more. So I don't know if there's a question in there, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that is another um, sort of question that I struggle with is, is how much to, to, to give away because you, you know, I do want there to be ambiguity and I want there to be mystery and, and, um, and to, to leave things open for the, the person. But I, I also, you know, where, where do I draw the line of how much I, how many breadcrumbs I drop so that the person has enough to grab onto, you know, to, to find their own way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, maybe that, that's actually, I hadn't thought of that before. That is a good idea to maybe give just a, a little, you know, one sentence or something about each series. This is kind of where it was coming from for me, you know. So I often ask people if um, there are reactions or conversations you hope to spark in people who view your work. And I guess I'm curious, you talked about that a little bit, but I guess I'm curious if you have a series, if you're hoping that people will grab onto something, if you don't care at all, 
if when you're at art fairs, like, how do you talk about that? Do you have oh, so many questions in a row? Do you have like four different series that you take to a, an in-person fair and that you have to talk about them all or? Oh yeah. Where do I start with that? I, um, yeah, as far as what I take, it's kind of what's done. Sure. And sometimes I have a, a, a bunch in one series that sort of come out all at once. And then, you know, sometimes I want to revisit a series that I haven't worked on for a while. And, um, and so that, that's what happens in the studio. Um, what was the, all of the rest? <laughs> the reaction and conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so great to hear what people have to say. And I think I, you know, I, I, I hold on to the stuff that I want to, I guess, I, at the comments that, you know, somebody said something once, uh, I don't know, sometime this year that, oh, you know, your work is, it, to me, it's, it's subtle but fierce. And I, I loved that. And so I, I wrote that down in my little notebook because, you know, I wanted to hang on to that. And then, you know, some, and then two minutes later, somebody will walk in and say something that, um, like whatever to, and just that one roll off. But there's, there are definitely little nuggets of things people say that, um, that I, I grab onto because I, I like, and, and, and it sparks something and, oh yeah, maybe, you know, maybe if I did try that, that would be cool. I don't know. I, I, I often think of myself as just the, the vessel that is sort of translating the creative work. And so as the vessel, I get out of the way, but then I also get to hold on to what I, I want to, to, you know, in the interest of the evolution of the work. So, so like during a gallery show or an opening when everyone's there just to see your work or you and a few other artists work, do people dig in a little deeper? Actually, surprisingly less, I would say. I think people are the public in general. This is a huge generalization, but in general, the public is more intimidated by a gallery scene. And so they're more afraid of saying the wrong thing or um, and there's a smaller sort of slice of humanity that will walk through a gallery door. And I think with that larger sample size, you know, comes a lot more comments and, and people more willing to be vulnerable with their thoughts and, and say what they think on the street. Cause it's, it's, it's just less intimidating than a gallery scene where there's, there's just a lot of stigma around, you know, potential, potentially few, feeling like there, there's a right and a wrong and, and um, there's a inside group of people who get art and, and, and maybe the, I'm not one of those people, but I, I like art. So I'm going to a gallery, but I, I don't want to say too much or, to, or be wrong because I didn't go to art school. So, so the, the I, I have found that people are much more um, willing to share and, and feel more free with their thoughts, you know, on the street in, in a art festival setting. And that's part of why I, I, I love it. You know, that's really interesting because I'm thinking back to art openings I've gone to, gallery night, walking into galleries, and we have a great art scene here in Milwaukee. I'm always surprised at how, like, down-to-earth somebody is. You know, we put people on a pedestal, 
Yeah. Whoever they are, they're doing something I can't do. And so they must be X, Y, and Z. And when you talk to them, everyone just puts their pants on the same way. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting that you said that because now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about obsessions a little bit before we go any further. And I'll just give you the background here. It's that my idea of an authentic obsession is that thing that sort of permeates your creative life, maybe your personal life. It's the thing you can't stop talking about that finds its way into all of your work um, that's uniquely yours and that people would recognize that obsession of, oh yeah, that's, that's Brianna. Do you Mm -hmm. have, and it could be tangible or intangible. Do you, can you articulate something that feels like an obsession for you? Um, oh, I would say the sort of crossroads of, um, it is, it is difficult to articulate fractals and nature and organic, but architectural, um, and, and sort of where man-made and nature-made lines up the infinite smallness, uh, or infinite bigness of all things where the, an atom looks like a solar system or, you know, that, that, um, uh, I, I would say the exquisite interconnectedness of all things would be, um, that's going to be really long on my website. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful though. Wow. The exquisite interconnectedness of all things. Yeah. And just that, you know, everything relates and everything is, is connected and everything is stardust. And, um, I would say consciousness, having a human experience, it's, but you know, what is, what is consciousness and what is energy? And, and, and so all of, all of these sort of like quantum sciencey questions that rattle around. Yeah. But, and then, and then it's just art and, but is it, you know, is it the particles colliding in the, you know, uh, so yeah. Exquisite interconnectedness of all things, I would say is my, yeah, the, the, the bigger obsession, um, and that, that was trying to peek out with the writing and found itself more fully without words, um, for me. So has it always been with you or how did it Um, manifest? Where, when did you realize that this was such an integral part of your way of being? Wow, I think it has just I can't remember at what age it sort of occurred to me that we're not all separate. We're all, you know, uh yeah, I it's it it has kind of always been there. This sort of feeling of I don't know, like I grew up on watching science fiction and stuff. So there's always been, you know, space time continuum and, and, you know, does time even exist or is it, you know, is it actually linear? I, I, I can't remember when these questions sort of popped into my head at, at what age I probably as young as I could start to, Oh, wow. What is infinity? You know, it, really, it goes on forever. Mind blown, you know? So yeah, from probably as young as I could start to 
comprehend the big questions of the universe it it's that has been present for me and and come out through my creative force well that that's cool yeah i don't know it's just it's interesting to see how a worldview like that manifests itself as you become an adult and get older and i feel like it could go in many directions and yours really went in a fruitful productive direction where we can all benefit from it so they are big questions and and there's no answers and that's probably why my work lives in ambiguity quite a bit because um being comfortable with not knowing is is a difficult place to be as a human because we want the answers we want patterns we we seek them out we you know we want to categorize we want to organize um so to, to sort of live in this gray area where everything is a shade of gray and, and anything is possible is it can be uncomfortable um, because we like to know where the road is going, but we don't. <laughs> so, and, you know, and you were asking earlier, um, one thing I thought of as I was listening to you talk, um, the, the titles, the series, where they come from, and and maybe a little blurb about a little insight as to where they come from for me. Um, the series, the river, I haven't done very many of them because um, they really take a special place and inside of me to to get to. And that place is is sort of um, a visualization I had while meditating once where everything was, was light and columns and, and this exquisite interconnectedness. And, and, um, I mean, it it was hard to bring what was in my head out into the world, which is probably why there's not that many of, of the rivers, but it's, it, this sort of little droplet being part of the bigger sea or, you know, river, um, was what I was visualizing and trying to express in this series. So it was very sort of meditative and spiritual, maybe to me, that um, ethereal place where all is connected and light and one and and good and whole, even though they're separate, seemingly, <laughs> on this planet. Even though this isn't articulated, like, on a sheet of paper next to your artwork, I feel like the people who are sucked into your work and are just sort of drawn naturally to you, to it, like in retrospect, yes, that's what I sort of felt when I saw your work. Like I, my mouth was sort of open. I was staring. I didn't really want to talk to you because I just wanted to absorb what was happening and what I was feeling. And I thought, I don't know what it is about this, but I wanted to crawl inside of it sort of. I can't really explain it, but. Well, that means I did my job. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you totally did your job. Oh my gosh. Um, the whole, the whole thing about being uncomfortable with not knowing and all that ambiguity, does it present itself the same way in your creative life as it does in your personal life? Yeah. Um, on the good days, <laughs> you know, because uh, we all want to know we have solid footing underneath us, and it's it's uncomfortable to to feel like we don't. 
but I don't think I would be a full-time artist if I, if it didn't to some degree, because it's a very unpredictable way to make a living. Um, and you know, there's, there's people, you know, need an income to survive, to put food on the table. And the income is very, um, unpredictable and sporadic and can be feast or famine. And, and, uh, there's a lot of not knowing that one has to get comfortable with. I mean, even just what shows you're going to jury into the following year, there's no guarantees whether or not you're going to have a strong schedule or not. So, I mean, even just that one little piece of it, there's a lot of not knowing that one has to get pretty comfortable with so to a degree but but then also you know I think like any human I'm complicated <laughs> and there's you know there, there there's certain things that I I need to have you know home base be solid for me or I, I you know I need some stability in certain ways in order to to feel like I can flourish and 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 live in this unknown and um in in other ways you know um so it's not like I can just on a daily basis, just throw everything, you know, throw caution to the wind and feel comfortable with that. So yeah, I would say to a degree, I am comfortable with the unknown. Are there tools or resources or things that you do to sort of uh, bring you back down when you're in those moments of I don't know whether it's self-doubt or, you know, like, how do you rally when you get in a, in a uncomfortable space? Um, I have a great therapist and a great partner. <laughs> awesome. That's great. I mean, yeah. Cause there's days where it's, 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 it's like, Oh God, I need support, you know, in my head. Uh, um, so yeah, I think I think building a, a great support network around you is important. Yeah, you talked a little bit about how isolating it is to do the work and that you like the art fairs for that interaction. Do you have a community of creative people that you hang out with? Do you have a support system that way? Yeah, you know, it, it's pretty cool because we we sort of, you know, it's a very large community and you never know quite who's going to be at each show, but there's, um, over time you develop friendships and it's, it's almost like this little art carny lifestyle that, you know, you go from town to town and see each other and, and some people you connect with more and, and, um, um, I do have a, a fantastic group of friends that I have met, you know, in, in the years of doing shows that understand the, the creative battles and the road battles and, and, and everything else. So it's a, it's a great community. It's very, it's, we, it's like a tribe. We call each other, you know, it's like, Oh, I miss my tribe, you know? And it's, so it's, there's, there's that a very strong sense of community for sure. So this is going to lead me to my next question. I really want to talk about shadow happy, this installation that you did. And this was like 2012, 2011. So it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, and I want to I want you to tell the story about how this came to be, but I watched a YouTube video that you created of doing this installation at the Denver airport. And it was filmed over a number of days, five days, seven days, I don't know, a, a number of days. And I could see 
the people that helped you with this, what you were talking about, your community of people who like show up for you. And I mean, I'm talking, you were doing this, you were doing the installation in the middle of the night. Um, oh, you guys, you have to go watch this. Um, it's on her website, but I'll put a link in the show notes because um, I can't remember how long it is, five minutes or something. It's totally worth watching the whole thing. So this is an installation that had several parts to it. Talk about how it evolved. Yeah. So I, um, <laughs> like I said, I, I spent um, about eight years writing um, a novel. And when I was on the road in the early days um, in Chicago, uh, my computer got stolen and my backup hard drive got stolen there's a I that's not the story so I'm not going to go into that but it was I I was editing photos so I had you know everything with me and so the only backup that I had of this this novel um that I've been working on for almost a decade was was all lost and and um when I got home I realized it still lived in these edits uh, the stack of of printed paper that that you know just sitting on my desk and and I had a gallery show coming up that I I didn't quite know which direction I was going to take with it and I had as an artist I I like to keep my hands busy so I I learned to fold a crane a long time ago and heard the story about a thousand cranes and it was just sort of a, a thing I did to keep my hands busy and I thought oh well um if I fold all these manuscript pages it, it could be this this sort of phoenix this this evolution of the of the art into a different um place so i did i did it first in a gallery the i folded um i think for the gallery there was about three thousand origami cranes in various sizes and did these same sort of swooping loops and you know um so and then also I wanted there to be another element to the installation so part of my philosophy on everything was one once and then you know we are having this experience because we got lonely um you know what if everything when it was one was like a sheet of glass and then it shattered into all these jagged edges um and so you know sometimes you meet someone where you you connect more and it's you know maybe your jagged edges you know you were closer together when it was a a a single sheet of glass and that shattered because it was lonely and wanted to experience itself more fully and and learn about itself so um i i glued all these pieces of broken tempered glass together in circles to represent community and then the the folded pieces of uh, the folded cranes were were self you know the the novel was a coming of age novel that you know was a road trip book because i you know <laughs> so and then and then these sort of intertwined in this sort of river looking <laughs> you know back to the river river looking thing and then and then the uh, curator for um art at uh, DIA at Denver International Airport caught wind of the gallery show came out and saw it and asked me to do a version of it in in the airport over the a bridge and that that had its own challenges because instead of being a flat wall you know we had I had to weave the whole thing on these columns and that if you watch the video you'll see and I had um I call them my art ninjas (laughs) the three assistants and it took a month to install actually and you know we started at 10 p.m and worked until 5 a.m 
because that's when it was less busy and we could turn the, the moving walkways off and stuff and get to get, put the ladders on there to get to the columns. And so I ended up having to fold more cranes because it was so big. It was much bigger than a gallery space. So it ended up, you know, I think it was over 10,000 cranes that I folded and for the for the gallery show all out of these old edited you know manuscript pages <laughs> so. so a couple things one I love the I wish I could have seen it the energy around it is so awesome because the place where you installed it it's on this bridge basically and you can actually see the planes that are going under you as they're taking off or landing. You're also on a moving walkway as you're watching it. The, the energy of the light that's moving through the glass and the shadows of the cranes and the moving walkway and the planes underneath you, right? Something's happening there affecting your, a person's experience as they're walking over that tarmac. And I, I, to that point, I love that the, the interaction that depending on the time of day, which is why I ended up calling the piece Shadow Happy. Um, the, 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 the experience was uh, depending on the light and its interaction was constantly evolving. And so, yeah, uh, again, you know, got back to like quantum mechanics and the observer affecting the observed and everything that, you know, each person is going to have their own unique experience with that installation as well, just depending on whether, you know, whether or not it's the, sun is shining or you know if there's a sunset throwing certain you know making the shadows longer or you know because the shadows were an integral part of peace um given that the, the everything was off of the wall so there was space between to create those shadows i know these cranes are very small but how do you store ten thousand cranes and do you still have them all are they in buckets are they um yeah so large trash bags it sounds so you know I don't know demeaning or something to the you know, like the big lawn bags and yeah, so yeah. Um, I still have some of them I've done some private installations with the piece and a, a permanent one in a bank in Colorado in the conference room um Collegiate Peaks Bank on Brighton uh Boulevard I believe in Rhino um that that is a permanent installation and then some in, in private homes. So I think I only have about, you know, a couple thousand left um, at this point, but they're, they're in storage. So they, they, they live on somewhere. <laughs> so if anyone out there needs a cool installation in their home. <laughs> yeah. There's probably one left. <laughs> yeah. One left. Have you always been a traveler? Yes. Yeah. I, I grew up in a family that traveled quite a bit and, um, yeah, I just I, I just love it. I love I love the unpredictability. I love um, the the sort of thick living that happens with traveling. Um, where... Say more about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you have you ever noticed that when when you take a vacation or a road trip or go overseas, you know, you're like, God, was that only two days ago? It seems like that was two weeks ago because so much has happened and you've experienced so much. So I, I just call it thick living that it's, it's, you know, it, it seems like a lot more hours are, are squished into a day because there's all these sort of new experiences and, and things coming at you that um, don't happen when you're just in your normal routine at home. So I, I, I do have the wanderlust to um, quite a bit and, and, 
you know, not, I don't mean to be bashing galleries at all in this interview, but that that's part of the reason why gallery life didn't work for me because I realized that I, I there was something missing from my life on a personal level, just staying in one place and, and having gallery openings. And I, 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 it feeds me to, to be, out adventuring and on the road and, and, um, in a place where I, 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 that's, you know, not familiar to me. Um, it's, I, I need that. Um, like I said, is this part of the, the sort of creative process as well? Um, the, it's like inhaling to me so that I can exhale the experience, you know, in, in the studio when I get home. So I need that, um, interaction at this point in my life. So as long as it keeps working, uh, I will continue to be on the road for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It, it suits you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there something that is challenging for you that we might not expect? What trips you up? Yeah, the physical work can be tough. Um uh, yeah, recently, I mean, in two, in last year, in 2022, I had back surgery for my back injury. And then two months later, I w- was at one of my first art shows since my back surgery. And I was reaching for, I just want to talk about the physical part because yeah, yeah, please. Thing for sure. Um, I was reaching for something lighter in my van because, um, I couldn't lift more than five pounds and a uh, booth weight because we have to have them for weather. And I have um, these booth weights that are 40 pounds each. It's lead shot in a steel um, sort of square column. Um, so this 40 pound booth weight uh, fell out of my van and onto my toe. Oh, um, <laughs> my second on my right foot, my, my second toe from the big toe. And um so they rushed me to the emergency room and, and, you know, tried to reattach it. I exploded the bone apparently. So it was a, it was a crush injury. So they, they couldn't restore blood flow. So I ended up two weeks later, it was like, it had turned black and it was like, yeah, it's dead. So I, so I had my toe amputated. So, oh my God, that's awful. Okay. Can I just ask you one thing? A 40 pound weight. I know it's not like skinny, like a pencil. How did it only get one toe when all your toes are all smushed together? Oh, so how did I'm that so happen? Lucky. I mean, it, cause it, it kind of nicked the other two around okay. it. I think it, it just all landed, I think a corner. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. really remember, but it must've been just sort of a corner of it. And I'm also so lucky that it wasn't in the middle of my foot because right. that would have been squished and that it was just and not my big toe, you know. Sometimes our second toes are longer than our big toes, so maybe it was yeah. sticking out a little. I don't know if that's the case for you. I was just yeah. trying to imagine that, oh my God, I hope you blocked that moment out. Yeah, oh. I mean, it's, it's funny. I don't remember it exactly happening, but I remember you know, sitting on the bumper and then, and then like, Oh God, I'm too dizzy to be sitting up. And then, um, I laid down on the, on the street and the show director was coming over and, 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 you know, they're, my partner's calling, you know, 
trying to figure out where the closest emergency room is. And I just remember looking up at her and saying, but what about my booze? Because I was doing that up and she was like, well, let's just get you taken care of first. You know, it's just like, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, so I'm lucky it wasn't worse than it it was. But I, the physical part, you know, is is real. It's hard work. You know, it's sometimes 90 degrees and 100% humidity. And and sometimes a booth weight falls on your toe and, and, and all of the, you know, lifting and and you know we we all set up the the tent and the display the walls as well as the work and then we have to be out there sometimes 12 hours a day for four days straight and so it 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 is you know hard physical work so I think sometimes especially as I'm aging and you know my back's getting you know all the all the stuff that happens with that it's it's like well you know I can't do this forever (laughs) because it takes a toll um, so that, that's a challenge. Um, what's, what's the physicality like in your studio as you are creating? How do you, how do you move around and take care sometimes of yourself? Sometimes the big gestures are, are freeing and I, you know, the tiny stuff I'm, I'm either sitting or standing or hunched over. Um, so the, the toll on my back is, is real. Um, and the, whatever so my my back surgery was my l5 to s1 my lower back and standing happens to be the most painful worst thing for it so there's there's times where you know especially before my back surgery about the year or two before um i you know would not be at a place where i wanted to take a break from the work but physically you know would have to sit down and, and step back because I couldn't stand any longer. And it was, the pain is just screaming at me to stop. And I'm like, no, I have to get to this one part first, you know, but can't. So it's, um, so yeah, the, the, the sort of limitations of being in a human container, you know, are <laughs> difficult in the, in the studio as well as on the road, just aging <laughs> you know what happens to all of us so. it does it's better than not aging exactly exactly um can we talk briefly about your workspace and your studio space yeah I'm always interested if there's something in your workspace that you can't live without yeah I do have one if I'm feeling sort of too much in my head in the wrong ways or are too caught up in, in, um, or, or stuck, you know, creatively blocked. And there's this one CD, CD that ages me right there. There's this one album <laughs> by this one, um, artist that has no lyrics. It's just, it's, uh, I think it's a soundtrack to a, a movie or something. I don't, I don't know, but it, it somehow, um, uh, just really resonates with me and gets me into a place where words don't exist and into a rhythm. And it, you know, I sometimes will forget, oh yeah, that's a tool I have, you know, when I'm stuck, you know, put that music on and, and it will, it almost without, um, exception, just, just gets me into the right place, um, energetically to, to be unstuck. Um, so, that that album by Tim Hecker, this guy, I don't know, <laughs> composer. I don't, I don't really. I just found it um, years ago, and it's 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 pretty essential 
effort to, to, to help me, to aid me in getting into the right place mentally. Um, I love I that. Say, yeah. Besides all of the obvious things, materials and light and, and space, it's, that's the one thing that's, I, I would say unique to, to my create, my studio experience that I need. Do you have a uniform? I do. And it's sort of, it's become my all of life uniform. It's the former yoga instructor, you know, comfortable tank top and yoga pants. And that's, you know, and so I, you know, have, you know, 20 of the same sort of thing. And and the ones that have paint on them already, or, you know, those are the studio. And then the, the other ones are the show. (laughs) So I, my uniform is, is universal in life at this point. I mean, you need to wear clothes that allow you to move and set up and take down and in all kinds of weather and be comfortable sitting or standing or bending or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. I just, uh, uh, you know, I used to, uh, I think, dress up a little bit more for shows. Um, and then I, I was like, ah, it's so uncomfortable, and especially with, with my back shoes became really on my back and my toe, you know, what, what shoes I was wearing really mattered and and you can't always wear tennis shoes with every outfit so then it was like oh well comfort is key so whatever (laughs) I'm just gonna you know keep the uniform for all of time so life is too short to be uncomfortable in that way I think for sure (laughs) I'm with you um is there I have one more question for you before we wrap up and I'm wondering it has to do with boundaries what does that word bring up for you Oh, quite a bit. I mean, yeah, so boundaries. Um, I think it's, they're essential um, in studio life and then also in show life on the road. How much of yourself are you willing to give away um, energetically to the public? And, And what, you know, are you comfortable talking with? And what aren't you uh, talking about and and what aren't you, you know, to to whom? I think in my home life, in my studio life, there, uh, you know, with my partner is much more uh, established and there's a lot of respect for studio time. And, you know, the cats get mad when I (laughs) close the door, but they, they have a harder time with boundaries than anyone else in the house, but that's their cats. And so... But um, I think definitely on the road with the public, there's definitely, it's it's more of a challenge because I'm there to be accessible and available, but there's, you know, being human, you know, it's, uh, I'm tired and hungry and cranky and it's hot and I, I don't feel like talking about this right now and do I, do I really have, you know, so there's, but it's my job and so there's definitely um, a boundary of, of how much energy am I willing to give away in this moment with this person? Um, sort of checking in and rechecking in with boundaries um, in every moment at a show because I, I, I do give a lot away and it can leave me exhausted. And sometimes I have to um, save my energy for, I don't want to say the conversations that matter because they all matter, but there's, there's sort of, um, there's only so much I, I have in a given day to, to, to give away. So I, I, and again, that's, that's a me issue. So I have to, you know, check in with myself about 
where I'm at energetically throughout a show day. You feel like you can read people as they come up to the booth or um, no? Are you surprised by what comes out of people's mouth or? Yeah, for sure. I, I, sometimes you can, but you know, often I wait for the first interaction because I mean, people can be surprising, you know, you know, and you can't judge a book by its cover, all that stuff, you know, so, you know, but, oh, well, they're dressed this way. They must, you know, um, they will probably ask this question, you know, and that, that doesn't apply. So I, 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 I sort of reserve that to sort of see the first little bit of the exchange to see, you know, before I start, you know, determining, <laughs> I don't know. I love being surprised by people. I love those little interactions and my segue here maybe is, or my point here, I guess, is be open Mm-hmm. to what's coming your way and it seems to me that sometimes people who are struggling aren't opening themselves up to yeah. experiences and I would agree yeah and not that it's their fault I'm not blaming anyone it's just an a little attitude shift sometimes makes a huge difference absolutely yeah and and people can be surprising. I mean, I've I've definitely learned that in in doing and continue to learn it over and over again in, in doing shows and, and interacting with the public. That um, yeah. I don't know. I try to stay really present with the person that's in front of me, and not um, any preconceived notions I might have about, uh, about this person, you know, try my best to throw those all out the window until I actually start having an interaction with them and just, and be open to what little nuggets of wisdom that or insights they might have or where, you know, their life story and where they're coming from. And, and then, you know, maybe it's a good interaction, maybe it's not. And then, but then the next person comes and, and so to, to not take, you know, that previous interaction and plop it onto the next person, good or bad or indifferent or, or whatever, to just try and, you know, constantly, you know, reset and stay present with, with the moment and with the person in front of me and stay open to what that interaction might, might be. Um, which, you know, constantly trying to stay present, I think is another worthwhile struggle that is of a, life lesson that you know um shows have taught me being in the studio has taught me um that you know and it's a it's just a constant you know it's not like you learn it and then it's over and you don't have to keep and keep working oh i know (laughs) it's so frustrating (laughs) um okay so you have a good sample size for this thing i was thinking about recently I feel like there's a sweet spot of interaction where the people you walk by on the street and say, hello, that's one kind of interaction and you smile and whatever, maybe you pet their dog for a second um, or someone hands you a cup of coffee at the store, right? It's this quick interaction. And, um, but it feels to me like these 10 to 15 minute conversations or interactions like you need a little bit more than two minutes but if it's a 10 minute interaction with someone that you've never met before it has a whole different feel and it's just enough but you also know you're going to leave and so the pressure isn't there 
I don't know. There's some something there. It, it's so interesting because it is. It, there's an intimacy to it. There, you're in this little ten by ten space, and and there's all of your work that you, all your blood, sweat, and tears, and your, you know, your vulnerability and your, you know, authentic self, hopefully, and you, you know, that you're you're exposing, and and putting on the wall for th- this person to interact with and, and make a judgment in whether they like it or not. It's subjective. It's art. It's, it's, it's fine. That's part of the game. But then, you know, um, they either have a, a, a connection to it or they don't. And usually they just keep walking if they don't, but if they, if they come in and start to interact with you, it means they've had a connection with the work. And so they're, they're already sort of exposing themselves to, to you just by being open to your work and so there's 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 this like intimacy with strangers that happens that, and then you know that they're they're interacting and 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 finding meaning and and what you find meaning in a very sort of genuine place of your your you know bearing your soul if you will and so then it sort of starts on this this even though you're strangers on this this level of connection that you don't have with a coffee shop person so by the time they even open their mouth to speak to you there's already a connection and and then but it's brief and sometimes it's just a sentence or sometimes it's you know a half an hour conversation but it's it's I don't know. It's, it, it's really fascinating. And it's a glimpse of that exquisite interconnectedness that you talked about. And it doesn't even have to last very long to have an impact on your experience. I think about that art fair all the time. And I probably talk to, I don't know, not a lot, six or seven people for longer than 10 minutes, 10 minutes or longer. And those interactions will stay with me, whether or not I bought something from them, whether or not I asked them to be on the podcast, if I'll see them again, if I won't, if I just, you know, it was just a funny interaction, even if I didn't like the work, it doesn't matter, but there's, but it's held in my memory now. And those memories come up once in a while, they're triggered by something else that happens to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know it's where cool I'm going thing. with that, but it, it's yeah, it's just yeah. a neat experience. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. We are all connected. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally on board with your obsession, <laughs> even you. though it's really long <laughs> <laughs> challenges. Right. Right. I'm right. down for that. Okay. What? Okay. So I'm going to ask you four quick questions. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. If you could sit down with another artist and have a conversation like this one, who would you ask and what would you like to talk about? Uh, Lee Bontecu. Um, I would like to hear more about her transition from 2D to 3D and back to 2D and 3D and back and forth. You know, how, what that experience was for her as well. So tell us about her. Um, she is, she, she recently died. She's a New York artist that, um, sort of burst onto the scene and then, and then I just love her aesthetic and her badass, her general badassness. Awesome. (laughs) I'll put a link. Can you describe a favorite outdoor spot? Uh, well, Colorado or Utah. Colorado or Utah. One of the two, um, there's a place in Utah that my brother and, and I found that overlooks uh, Canyonlands. That, that I've been there most recently, so I would say 
I just love the vista and the view and the, yeah, I would say that, that little spot. I don't, it's not really, it doesn't really have a name. So, but that, that place is magical. Aren't those the best? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have a comfort food? Oh, chocolate. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so cliche, but it's, it, it really is the best in the world. Do you have any kind of personal motto or a saying that inspires you? Do you have anything like up in your studio or something that you turn to? I have, I have a lot of little snippets and quotes and stuff on the wall, but uh, one of my favorites is uh, Tom Waits and it's always keep a diamond in your mind. Lovely. I love that. Thank you, Brianna. I so appreciate you talking about all the things and you got to go check out all the links, watch that YouTube video, go check out her artwork. You will sink into it. And yeah, thank you. I appreciate all your time. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you so much. Here are the takeaways from my conversation with Brianna. A lot of these are closely connected, but I think they're all worthy of repeating and just things that we need to hear over and over again. Number one, we are all complicated, nuanced, onion layers of humans. Number two, we are all works in progress. Number three, the lessons are everywhere. Number four, sharing of the art is just as important as the creating of the art. Number five, there are no mistakes in art. If you think it's not right, it's just not done. And number six, we are little time tornadoes creating our own weather. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, go tell a friend. Have a great week. Thank you.